May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. If I have not met you yet, my name is David. Uh, my day job, I teach theology at Fuller Seminary, but I also get to be a, uh, what's called a clergy in resident here at uh, Church of the Cross, which means I get to, to serve in whatever way that service is needed, and it is so good to see you this morning. Allow me to begin my sermon today in a quintessentially Peter Coelian fashion <laughs> with a movie reference. <clears throat> you remember that movie, 1999, The Matrix? There's a female character named Trinity who played this role of John the Baptist figure to the main character of Mr. Anderson, who eventually became the messianic figure of Neo. And she finds him at the beginning of the movie at this techno-goth club. And if you saw the movie, you can hear the sounds of that club. And over the din of the noise, she whispers in his ear, I know why you're here, Neil. I know why you hardly sleep, why you live alone, why night after night you sit by your computer. You're looking for him. It's the question that drives us, Neil. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question just as I did. Neil waits a beat and then he says, what is the matrix? But more like, what is the matrix? Uh, <laughs> Trinity nods, says the answer is out there, Neil, and it is looking for you, and it will find you if you want it to. Well, that question, what is the matrix, is what originally drove the entire marketing campaign of a movie that revolutionized what cinematography could do at the turn of the millennium. It also funded a billion sermon illustrations for months to come. <laughs> but it's the question that defined the legacy of that particular movie, and it is not alone in that respect. Robert De Niro's 1976 movie Taxi Driver, for example, is famous for its improvised scene in which the character of Travis Bickle looks at a reflection of himself in the mirror, and he says... You talking to me? Uh, and I'm not going to do it with an accent. Uh, or the movie Gladiator. Russell Crowe plays the role of second century general turned slave who after one particular victory in the Colosseum as a gladiator taunts the crowd by saying, are you not entertained? Or equally famously, the 1983 movie Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker asks Yoda the question he has feared to ask is Darth Vader my father? So much of our lives, dear friends, as human beings is defined by the questions that we are asked. What do you do? Where are you from? How many times have I told you not to do that? Are you being honest with me? Really honest? You're a quitter, aren't you? You like to cause trouble, don't you? Questions that define us. Now, such questions also play a central role in the Gospel of St. John and disclose not only the heart of the story, but also the heart of its protagonist. 
And it's a question that concludes the dramatic narrative of John 6. Do you also wish to leave? Now, it's rare that I get to do two things in a sermon. I get to actually answer a question that I raised in a previous sermon earlier this summer. And I discovered this past week that I get to re-preach a sermon that I preached four years ago this month in this very room. But in my sermon today, I will not repeat myself. I am going to focus on the meaning of the question rather than the answer. And I would like to tell you what it is that Jesus' questions reveal about the character of God. First, though, allow me briefly to summarize the passage for you. So, in John 6, 1 to 15, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, what's significant for us about this miracle is the fact that while Jesus gives the people more than enough, as the text tells us, it becomes clear in our passage that it is not enough for them, as Father Peter reminded us in his sermon a month ago. In the episode that follows, we find Jesus walking on water. Jesus meets his disciples in the dark of night, as Father Peter reminded us three Sundays ago, and speaks the words that each of us needs to hear. I am here. It's me. Don't be afraid. And at this point in our text, the people ask Jesus their first question. In John 6.25, the people ask, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answers their question by not answering their question. He offers them a sign, and the people prefer the surrogate of bread rather than the giver of bread, as Father Peter reminded us two Sundays ago. In verse 28, the people ask, what must we do to do the works that God requires? This time, Jesus answers their question rather straightforwardly. The work of God is this, to trust in the one he has sent to to throw your lot in with him wholeheartedly. In verse 30, the people ask, A third question. What miraculous sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? And Jesus here answers by offering the people something preposterous. You do not need a loaf of bread that falls from the stars, he tells them. You need the true bread that comes down from heaven. Now this gets the people worked up and they ask what I think is a perfectly reasonable question. Aren't you Joseph's son? I mean, we know where your people are from. So who do you think you are telling us these things? Jesus answers their question by repeating himself. He says, you want bread? That's me. This flesh and blood self. Eat this bread and you will live forever. And at this point, the people ask their fifth question. What in the Sam Hill are you talking about? (laughs) Now, the scene here plays out a bit, I think, like the courtroom scene in that wonderful 1992 movie, A Few Good Men. Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson, sits as a witness and ruffled by Tom Cruise's Lieutenant Caffey's cross-examination, yells, you want answers? To which Lieutenant Caffey shouts, I want the truth. To which Colonel Jessup roars, You can't handle the truth. And I do wonder to myself if Jesus might have been thinking that thought at this point in the narrative. The crowd in John 6 find Jesus' words utterly off-putting, as Father Peter reminded us last week. And it is at this point 
that the text tells us that they ask their final question. In verse 60, they remark, this is a really hard thing for us to hear. Who can accept it? Jesus tries to help his disciples understand what is at stake, but a great many of them walk away at this point, and they go home. Jesus turns to the twelve and asks his one question, do you also wish to leave? Peter responds for the group when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, if you are half awake and perfectly honest with yourself, there is a chance that you have answered this question at some point in your life positively. Yes, I would. I would like to leave. But dear friends, please note what Jesus does not do in this difficult and tense exchange with the people. No matter how self-indulgent or ignorant or belligerent they may seem with their questions, Jesus never shuts them down. Now, you may have grown up in a home where you asked a sincere question and you were given a sarcastic answer. You asked a dumb question and you were told you were dumb. You asked an ignorant question and you were shut down. Jesus isn't that way, dear friends. He welcomes all your questions no matter how weird or poorly formed they may be. Jesus takes all our questions seriously. He takes all your questions seriously. Why? Because it is precisely the way that he loves you. But there's also the fact that Jesus' words are, in fact, hard to swallow. And each of us has likely had a moment in our life with God that has provoked the response, this is freaking hard. It may be an experience of tragedy. It may be a traumatic experience of abuse at the hands of someone that you trusted. It may be an experience of the perpetual silence of God in your life. If you're honest, you're able to say, this is hard. And this brings me then to the question about questions in John's gospel. The meaning of Jesus' question in John 6, 67 makes sense only, I suggest to you, in light of the first and the very last question that Jesus asks in the fourth gospel. In John 1.38, Jesus encounters two of John the Baptist's disciples, and seeing that they had begun to follow him, he says, what do you seek? More colloquially, it translates better as, what do you want? Their answer, it turns out, is rather pedestrian. They want to know where he is staying. Jesus answered them by not answering their question exactly. Instead, he says, come and see. His answer, I suggest you, serves as a kind of shorthand for his entire project. Come and see. It's an invitation, it bears noting, that comes with a risk. The risk is that they might not, in fact, want to come and see. They may say, no thanks, we're good, we'll stay here. Or they may not like what they see. That's too weird for us. It's too hard. It's too much. What do you want? What do you want? It's the first question that Jesus asks in John's gospel, but it is not the last time that he asks that very question. 
In John 18, 4, Jesus asks the soldiers who are about to arrest him, who is it you want? And in John 20, 15, Jesus asks a grieving Mary Magdalene, who is it that you want? But in the Greek, it's the exact same form. What is it that you want? It's a question that defines the beginning of Jesus' ministry in John's gospel, but it's not the only important question that he asks. At the end of the gospel, in John 21, 15, Jesus turns to Peter after breakfast and asks, do you love me? This, too, is a question that defines. So allow me to propose to you here an idea that I think might make sense of what John's gospel is trying to do as a whole. The three questions that we find at the beginning, middle, and end of the gospel not only define the journey of the disciples, but they also map onto the contours of our own spiritual journeys. When we start off our pilgrimage with Jesus, standing on the outside, he asks, what do you want? And you know what? He's genuinely interested in knowing your answer. As we draw closer in and begin to discover who he really is, he asks, do you wish to leave? And when we find ourselves drawn into intimate friendship with Jesus and yet also confronted with our own tendencies to deny or to abandon him, he asks, do you love me? Three questions, three stages. But as I thought about it a bit more, I thought, no, I don't think that's actually quite right. So I changed my mind. I realized that it might be more accurate to say that these are three questions that Jesus asks not just once, but throughout the entire course of our lives with Jesus. And yet if I left things here, I thought to myself, I think we might actually come away with a defective or partial understanding of what Jesus is actually after when he keeps asking his questions. And more crucially, how he asks his questions. My last year of college, I found myself sitting in front of eight senior figures at the University of Texas. I had applied for a specific scholarship, and their job was to verify whether I merited it. They sat in a half moon around me in a tall, ceilinged, richly ornate room, and they questioned me for two hours. Their job was not to be for me. Their job was not to be with me. Their job was not to like me. Their job was to see if I was good enough. Their job was to be ruthless and exacting, dispassionate in their interrogation, and merciless in their quest to expose the edges of my ignorance. Many of us in this room, I suspect, fear that God is a bit like that group of people when he asks us his questions. What do you want? Now, see, if I really tell God what I want, he's probably going to dismiss me. Or, or, or actually, you know what? He's just going to laugh at me. Do you wish also to leave? Well, see, now he's just judging me. He doesn't really like me. He doesn't really love me. He doesn't really care. Do you love me? That's just a, a, just a trick question. I mean, God is sovereign. He's omniscient. He already knows the answer. Why is he even asking that question? We hear a tone of voice in our heads when we hear Jesus asking us these questions. And tragically, it makes us afraid of him rather than drawn towards him. 
But brothers and sisters, John's gospel would tell us a very different story about Jesus. So what then is Jesus after with all these questions that he asks? Allow me to propose to you a possible answer. Jesus' questions, first of all, are never really about information. Where do I live? Well, I live, you know, up the road there. That's not what he's interested in. His questions always represent an invitation. What do you want? Really, what do you want? Come and see. Come and see now. Come and see at every point of your life. Come and see at the very end of your life. Come and see. Jesus' question, secondly, do not presume upon his hearers. They're genuine questions. Do you wish also to leave? Brothers and sisters, he does not ask this question in a judgy or petulant or sarcastic way. The offer is real. You can walk away, and he will not love you any less. He will love you to the very end. Jesus' questions lastly remind us that there's nothing safe about following him. There never is. It always involves risk. Do you love me? Well, shoot, if I answer yes, man, it's implicating all of me, just as it implicated Peter to the point of martyrdom. What do you want? Well, come and see that there's no answer at a distance. You have to actually follow after him to find out what you want. Do you wish also to leave? Lord, you have the words of life. We don't understand them all the time, but we'll keep following you because we're so desperate for something real, even if those real things may cause us pain. All this being said, friends, there's only one question that stands behind all of the questions that Jesus asks. It is a more fundamental question. It is the question that Jesus asks behind every question. Can you guess what it is? Do you trust me? What do you want? Really, what do you want? But the real question is, do you trust me with your wants? Do you wish also to leave? You can. Do you trust me? Do you love me is really a question, do you trust me? Dear church, Jesus welcomes all of your questions. He welcomes every one of your questions because it is the way that he loves you. Even those of you who stand at the margins of faith, even those of you who are skeptical or disenchanted, because his welcome is always generous and expansive. But brothers and sisters, he always gives more to those who are willing by faith to lean in. What's curious to me about the metaphor of eating and drinking that defines Jesus' point in John 6 is how visceral it is, how very carnal. You can't eat bread abstractly. You can't do it at a distance. You have to take it in your hands, you have to break it, and you have to consume it. And nobody said it wasn't bizarre. It really is. But it's the only way to life. And you may hear Jesus yet again saying to you today, do you trust me? And if you're honest, you may say, not everywhere, not in every respect. And he asked you, you wish also to leave. And parts of you do, if you're honest. 
And he looks at you and your honest confession in the same way that he looks at his disciples, with a profound mercy. And when you feel tempted to walk away, he gives you far more compassion than you ever imagined possible. And when you hear yourself saying, Lord, I I don't think I love you, not completely, he offers himself to you yet again as the bread that satisfies every hunger of your soul. And when you feel faint and doubtful and you struggle to receive this bread, this flesh of Jesus, you know what he offers you? His body, you. You are God's provision of grace for one another. And perhaps, brothers and sisters, that is the gift that you can offer to one another here today. Maybe that is the answer that some of you have come here with. Is there help for me in my faint, doubtful, struggling heart? You can help one another to say, yes, yes, I trust you, Jesus, or at the very least, I want to trust you. In The Matrix, this character of Trinity tells Neo, the answer's out there and it's looking for you and it will find you if you want it. But in John's gospel, it's not an answer that is looking for you. It is a someone. It is a divine person. It is the second person of the Trinity who has taken on flesh, who wants to find you and who comes to you with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and offers himself as real food and real drink, living bread that will not leave your soul hungry. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Jesus' questions reveal about the nature of God. Far more gracious than you ever dared to ask or imagine. Do you wish also to leave? That's the question that finally concludes one of the most extraordinary passages in John's gospel. But the real question, dear friends is do you trust me? That is always the question. So may we receive the help of the Holy Spirit this day and the help of the saints throughout the ages and gathered here in this room and the help of his very body and blood to be able to say yes. I trust you. I want to trust you. I am struggling. I am here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.